Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 520th episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormack, and I'm a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family doctor and the director of practice support at the College of Family Physicians of Canada. I'm also an adjunct professor at U of A. That's the University of Alberta, for those who didn't know. I, I think that's important. You've, ne- you've never clarified that. <laughs> never have. And th- well, that's part of our podcast, James, leaving a little bit of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are a man of mystery. And we'll be, we'll, speaking, speaking of mystery, let's yeah. talk about food. Oh, again. yeah. So as, as some of you who've been following along in our podcast, we occasionally uh, delve into the uh, science and evidence around food, partly because I wrote a book about it a little while ago. But I think and it's the also, other part is that we want to make our listeners unhappy. Exactly. No, I think we make them happy. Oh, okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm always optimistic. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. You bring the sunshine. Yeah. You bring the sunshine. <laughs> At the right amount of dose, though. Oh, yeah. Not enough to burn you. <laughs> Just the right amount. Yeah. So we're going to delve into the whole area of ultra-processed food. And I think it's important because, you know, if, if, if there was a villain food, Mike, I think you'd agree that ultra-processed food fits that role. We're going to look at the evidence in a minute, but that's, that's what a lot of people go after. I'm trying to think of foods that I don't really like. There aren't many, mm-hmm. uh, so I guess I'll have to switch to ultra-processed, although I suspect that many of us, in there are foods in the ultra-processed list that many of us truly enjoy. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any doubt. And so w- what we want to do is sort of put it into the context. And, and as with all food, you kind of have to do definitions, right? Because one person's ultra-processed may not be another person's ultra-processed. Um, so, uh, you know, so when we think of these things, we think about, uh, you know, we always talk about, you know, things like fast food or, uh, you know, pop and all those different things, uh, when it comes to ultra processed food, but there is a, an actual definition that people use and, you know, uh, I'm, spoiler alert here. There are no randomized controlled trials of fast of ultra processed food because yeah. And Spoiler alert, there almost never will be any randomized control trials of food. Yeah, there is actually one that goes on for, you know, a couple of weeks, but that's not going to tell us about things like heart attacks and morbidity, sorry, mortality and cancers and all that sort of stuff. So um, so why don't we start off with a definition? And, and the, the main group that d- defines it, there's a thing called the NOVA classification. And oh, I used to watch their TV shows. I know, I know. But he, he, and this is, this already started to annoy me. Do you want to know why it annoys me? You know, uh, <laughs> what happened? How long did the optimism last? No, very short, but okay. <laughs> I, I'm okay with some acronyms, right? Sometimes yeah. they, they're just annoying, but this is called the NOVA in, in capital letters. Do you know what the NOVA stands for? Probably nothing to do with N O V or A. It, it, it has nothing, means nothing. It literally doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a word that they use. Okay. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So anyway, this Nova classification outlines what they they call four food categories, and they've got sort of the unprocessed uh, and minimally processed food. Because if you really think about it, Mike, every, all food is almost all food is processed. Because you know, if you unless you literally go and take a bite out of a cow, um, 
you know, what about, what about, I know, I know you're, um, I know that all you eat is meat, but. No, um, yeah, not true at all, but keep going. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. Yeah. But anyhow, um, what about taking a bite out of an apple instead? Yeah, so in, in, in essence, I mean, it dep- you could argue that it's processed if you didn't pick it off the tree. It is. And you could argue that like some fruit is stored yeah, to exactly. make it last longer. It's stored with, I think, nitrogen and stuff to make it last longer, all sorts of things. I don't. I don't claim to know. Why no, did no. I even say that? Because I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. Which usually doesn't stop you from letting people no, know. No, I usually am quite comfortable yeah. going on about things I have no clue about. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so we have what we call unprocessed or minimally processed food. And, and they, their description of that is like fruits and vegetables and grains, fish, meat, eggs, milk, you know, herbs and spices. So, uh, and then if you process them a bit by freezing them or drying them or powdering them, they still consider that sort of unprocessed or minimally processed food. And then there's a thing called processed culinary ingredients. And what that is, is things like uh, vegetable oils, butter, lard, honey, table salt, and sugar and molasses. Uh, these are things that uh, you, you sometimes add to your cooking if you're going to do that. And some of those things do contain additives to prolong shelf life, but those are still not called ultra-processed foods. Now, so there's those two levels, and then there's processed foods. And that's uh, their definition of processed foods. And remember, we're going to be talking about ultra-processed, but processed foods are where you take these unprocessed or minimally processed food, and then you start adding all these other culinary ingredients that we just talked about to enhance flavor and, and sort of durability. And then you end up canning them or bottling them and preserving them. And that, you know, things that we can talk about are canned or bottled whole fruits, uh, you know, uh, canned or bottled vegetables. And then, and then not just meat, but sort of the ham and the bacon, the pastrami, the smoked fish, fresh, uh, freshly baked bread, simple cheeses. Those are all uh, considered uh, what we call processed foods. There's a, there's a moment here to just pause... James mm-hmm. and rejoice for many bacon isn't in the ultra processed category nor are cheeses which yes exactly any of them enjoy so or breads for that matter yeah yeah so that so and and that's the new because you know if someone said is is bacon ultra processed they'd say oh yeah I think it is but by their definition and and, and we've run into this problem for 520 episodes of the podcast <laughs> is the definitions are so important. Otherwise, we don't know what one person is talking about. Yes, so true. Yeah. Except NOVA. We know what NOVA is talking about because we, we... Yeah, because we know we what NOVA even, stands for. We don't even know what the name means. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then we get into uh, ultra-processed food. And, and, and uh, uh, a colleague of mine once said that, you know, if, it, if you look at the ingredient list and, you know, one, you don't even know what it, the word means... Or you couldn't find that ingredient in a kitchen, in a normal kitchen, it might be ultra. It might be considered ultra processed. And um, you know, uh, some sort of examples are carbonated soft drinks, fatty or salty snacks, uh, margarine, cake mixes, fruit yogurt. Because just because you stick a fruit in it doesn't make it uh, uh, unprocessed, or it doesn't make it a fruit per se. But then they include things like pasta and pizza, which is interesting because, you know, you know, if, if you make your own pizza, 
is that ultra processed? Ah, it's tricky, right? It's um, very tricky. Yeah. Very, that one's very tricky, but certainly like, yeah, pizza ordered from the freezer, I think probably would, no, no one would argue that that's likely in the ultra processed yeah, exactly. category. But and, something and then, you make yeah. at home or even that just past a period, I'm assuming that's pasta mixes or something. But yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that, you know, and again, it's, it's the definition. And so, uh, but you know, if we said fish nuggets or, but then, you know, they've got yeah. sausages and burgers and hot dogs, but not bacon. So it's, 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 it is tricky. But if you, yeah. you know, when you go look at the list of stuff that's in it, that there's a whole list of different additives that can be, you know, the, the high fructose corn syrup, dextrose, uh, whey protein, hydrolyzed proteins. And you've probably seen all those names listed on there. If those products, if a product that you have contains those, it's typically considered a, um, ultra processed food. And you can also see, and they call it these cosmetic additives. And I love that word. And I know you got a kick out of that word. Yeah, I did. I think I, I was wondering, does that make all of us, uh, if we've ever used any kind of cosmetic, does it make us? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I just uh, know that most of us, when we go on a first date, pardon? most of us, if we're going to go on a first date, we probably would use some sort of cosmetic additives. Well, at our age now, you have to. Oh, yeah. We're going on that. Yeah. Fortunately, we're married, and so we phone, we're phoning it in now. But Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, cosmetic suddenly you become an ultra-processed food. Yeah. Well, I, I, I personally, I prefer, I, I, I just put a bag on my head. That's my cosmetic. <laughs> That's the safe way to go. Yeah. But, but, but when we're talking about those things, we're talking about, you know, uh, flavor enhancers, colors, and emulsifying, anything that emulsifies anything, pretty much. Sweeteners and thickeners and anti-foaming and foaming and bulking and all those different uh, things that are put into to food. Those those are considered ultra-processed food. So, why is this? Why do we have to define it? Well, because we need to know what we're talking about. What, but what's fascinating, if you use that definition of ultra-processed food, and then you go look at how much ultra-processed food do people on average eat... And the way that it's typically described, although there's a, a variety of ways that it's described, but this is, uh, you know, of your energy intake. So if you just look at the total amount of calories that you take in, how many of those calories come from ultra-processed food of the description that I just gave? In the U.S., it's about 50 to 60%. So that's Goodness. quite something. Um, and <laughs> it's e quite something, all right. Yeah. And then even, uh, even the the... You know, when we when we ask people what, how much do you eat, eat the lowest quintile is between twenty to thirty percent. So that's that's the range that we're talking about, and it's those numbers are quite similar in the UK. Uh, a couple of numbers that I saw were different: Canada and Brazil. We come in a bit lower at about fifty percent, not fifty to sixty percent. And what's interesting in many Mediterranean countries, the average amount of ultra processed food is considerably less uh, from what I've seen is in Spain and Portugal and Italy, we're talking about 10 to 20%, which is a, quite a big difference, uh, probably because they have a, a different uh, um, relationship with food in many Mediterranean countries. I'd have thought that's probably why. For sure. I think that's that's part of it. And I think it's like, obviously, with the ultra process being passed in pizza, Italy and others can't there has to be a variation in how we interpret that. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So th there's, I agree with you. I think some of this stuff, certainly like a can of Chef Boyardee is very different than a, than a homemade pasta. Exactly. 
Yeah. But you know that again. Now we're bringing our own because we have zero studies to back that up. <laughs> but what, yeah. what we can but say we don't is, need it. No, Deep. no. <laughs> but what we could say yeah. is that wouldn't fall under the category likely as ultra processed food. Likely, yeah. Likely. So how do we how do we uh, test whether? Well, first of all, the concept of ultra processed food has not been around for you know a huge amount of time, and, the, and this classification system is somewhat newish. It's not new, but it's uh, but. Interesting. I, I could have, there's, a, there's a number of uh, cohort studies that have looked at how much ultra-processed food do you eat, and then is it associated with uh, heart attacks and strokes and cancers and all that sort of stuff? And it's just like any other uh, cohort study, Mike. It's they ask you how much and then break it into either into quantiles, either usually quartiles or quintiles, and then see if the people who eat the least amount have less bad outcomes in the people who eat the most amount. And uh, mm-hmm. most of these um, cohort stud- studies that I'll talk about uh, did use that NOVA food classification system, but not all of them. As you can, you know with humans, if there is one way of classifying something, you know someone's going to come up with a different one. Yeah, they, well, we need to, right? We need to be independent and innovative <laughs> um, and and pick out the flaws like we've already done. Like, well, I don't like the fact that pizza's there. It's got to be... A, it's got to be subtypes of pizza and so on. And you can see how it happens pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, no, exactly. So uh, so I, I could find about seven different uh, cohort uh, studies that have looked at the association between the amount of ultra-processed food that you ingest and things like heart attacks and strokes and mortality. And these cohort studies... Uh, uh, varied in their duration of follow-up anywhere between five upwards of close to 20 years. So again, that's exactly what we see with many of the cohort uh, studies that are look at the association between all of these things. And then they have uh, the reference uh, zone, if you will, and that's usually less than about uh, 20% uh, of food being ingested as being ultra processed. So actually that, that number is right around where, what we see that in the Mediterranean countries or, you know, less than maybe two to three servings a day, sometimes four, um, all the way up to people who ingest greater than about 50% uh, of their uh, food intake as ultra processed or are getting into the zone of around nine to 12 servings a day. So if you're wondering who that might be, remember when you were a student yeah. going to university and trying to eat cheaply. Yeah, that, that would be you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, and, and but what's what's interesting? And again, this is not cause and effect data. There could be all sorts of uh, confounders in this, but the findings are really quite consistent. They if you're looking for was there a statistically significant difference in the number of people who had heart attacks or strokes uh, or overall mortality if you ate more uh, ultra-processed food? The answer is yes, but there's a big caveat. And the caveat is that there, in almost all circumstances, it was the, only the people that ate at the highest uh, quantile, and that was either the, a quartile or a quintile, only in those people if they were above sort of the... 35 to 40 to 45 uh, percent 
amount of ultra processed food, did you see an association with a bad outcome? And their relative numbers, we are not, you know, we've talked about food before, Mike, the relative increase or the uh, the risk ratio, if you will, oftentimes it's like 1.1, 1.2 for many foods. But in this case, you know, we're talking about some of them are getting up into the 1.3s, 1.4s, which is as, pretty much as high as you get with many food items. So I think that, you know, the the evidence does support that if you're above the sort of 40 to 50%, then it does appear to be associated with increased risk of heart attack and, and, and strokes. And again, it's hard to tease out absolute numbers, but, you know, we're not saying that everybody who eats nothing but ultra-processed food is going to die of a heart attack tomorrow. But there is that one area that there is uh, an association, and that, I think, is an important message to get out. Because right now, ultra-processed food is really like the the whipping boy, if you will, of any bad food. And, and it shows quite clearly that if you eat, you know, in the 20 to 30%, we don't have evidence that it's harmful at least from cohort study data. Yeah, but it, 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 it and, and, you're, and you're right about all of that. I think one of the interesting things about this is what we look for is, uh, as we've mentioned before, in these types of studies is consistency, which mm-hmm. you've already pointed out is, is there. We look at a dose-response relationship. Yeah. So it should get worse as you eat more and more of it, which it generally does. Yeah. So there's a lot of things here that suggest that ultra-processed foods are bad. And so then you end up with the assumption that, well, if if it's bad in the extremes and in, in the kind of fourth and fifth quintiles, then it must be bad even in small amounts. And, and you're right. We don't we don't actually know that. And further, you're right about what you also said, which is this isn't cause and effect. We don't we don't know that we you know, there are rules of causation here that are being ticked that that it does seem to meet but we're still a long way from certainty Mm -hmm. but if you were a guessing person this is one of the rare things in diet where you can go okay you are what you eat you this this may actually this may actually be um have a consequence on health yeah because most of the time we can't we can't even begin to say that yeah yeah no and i agree and the most amazing thing so far about this entire podcast is you said i'm right twice yeah, yeah. I, can we go back and edit yeah, we will, that? Yeah, I'll edit that out. I'll, yeah, that's just, that just doesn't work. <laughs> no one will believe the podcast. No, no, exactly. They also, we started with you being an optimist. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so that, that's the best cohort data that we have. And then there's also, you know, there's, there's some decent data on obesity. And certainly, there, you have, the more ultra-processed food you eat the greater chance you have of being categorized as overweight. And we, we haven't actually done a, a weight podcast, I don't think. I mean, we'll get to that because overweight is not necessarily always associated with worse outcomes, but certainly it increases your risk of being uh, obese. And there was a, when it comes to obesity, there was a, uh, a, a relatively short randomized controlled trial looking at the effects of ultra-processed food on, on weight. And this is a, by a guy named Hall, and he this guy's done some actually kind of cool uh, research in nutrition where they do randomize people to different amounts of different foods. You can't do that for decades, unfortunately. Um, but they found that uh, people who were ran they were either randomized to uh, 
a high amount of ultra-processed food, 80% by energy. So that's a lot of ultra-processed food, Mike. I think you'd agree. That's a lot. It would be a delicious It would diet. be delicious, <laughs> and I would never not want to do it. <laughs> uh, or they were randomized to lower amounts, which is about 5% per energy, which is basically you'd have to have nothing but just you know whole foods and going out and you know biting food out of animals and growing your own food. But they found that in the people in the high ultra-processed food group took in about 500 calories more a day than those in the low group. And they showed that the, over this one month period, or it was, they, they did a, uh, they switched them to the alternate diets that the people in the high ultra processed food gained approximately one kilogram while the low group lost about a kilogram. So they were able to show that the more ultra processed food you eat, the, the greater chance you have of gaining weight. And what's interesting is they were not able to show that there was any difference in things like glucose and insulin levels and so on. So there's no doubt that that the more you eat now, the reason that they probably gained weight was they ate more, Mike. You know, they yeah they ate oh, 500 more, calories more a day. So you're sure. going to gain more weight if you eat more food. Now, there's a big debate, and we haven't even gotten to this, I don't think, in a podcast, that is a calorie a calorie? And I'm oh, going to... Oh, please don't. Please I'm, don't I'm, even I'll, 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 I'll cut to the chase. A calorie is pretty much a calorie. Surprise. Yeah, I know. It's it's not, you know, there's a there's a nuance to it, but it's yeah. Uh, it, it, and, people are looking like the same thing is about BMI. BMI is such a poor measure. You can be all muscle and have a high BMI. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're talking about less than one percent of the population to make your point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, so the same is true here. The, these variances are tiny. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. But it's not where the issue lies. The issue lies in consuming too many calories compared to the amount of energy burned exactly yeah um and so you can imagine that if if uh there's also some cohorts that have looked at the association between ultra processed foods and type 2 diabetes and they again uh they found that if you're in the higher quartile uh you have a greater risk of developing type 2 diabetes which as we've talked about is a risk factor more so than any, than it's not like getting a heart attack or a stroke and all that sort of stuff. Um, but again, they only found that there was an association with type 2 diabetes with the, the higher uh, yeah, sort of quantiles. They didn't see it in the sort of the second and third quartiles and so on. And then they, they've seen some, there's also some similar stuff uh, that they've seen uh, with cancer. And uh, there's been a couple of other looks at other areas there's been a, uh, people have looked and found that there's an association with if if people the more ultra processed food people eat the greater chance they have of being depressed. Now that you know, I would have thought if I shouldn't be laughing at that, but I could just imagine you know the kind of where people are the the Simpsons the Simpsons for example mm-hmm. when Homer is he's going to make his own he doesn't want to pay for. Uh, medicine for his depressed mood so he makes his own homemade Prozac yeah and there's a my favorite line is this Prozac needs more ice cream yeah yeah no exactly and I think you know if I didn't have any ultra processed food I'd probably be more depressed <laughs> but but these guys for the depression Obviously, they they are, yeah they they found that the the intake had to be greater than 73 percent and so if you're if you're eating that much ultra processed food, maybe there's some other issues. Who knows? It's really well, the, and and that's the challenge with cold. Yeah. That's that's also why I was kind of like, there's so much confounding here. Mm-hmm. What would lead a person to not 
have the energy, will, or desire to make their own fresh food at home, mm-hmm. you know, being depressed would exactly would, would I, I would when I'm overwhelmed and stressed, etc. I not as enthusiastic to spend a lot of time in the kitchen cooking. Yeah. And so I'm more likely to say, let's order out. Yeah, and, no, exactly. So I think, you know, these, these kind of things, they confound it. And, and yet people draw an association that turns into a causation type thing, which yeah. is grossly false. Yeah. And then finally, there was, there's also some data on the ultra processed food has been shown to be associated with irritable bowel syndrome and recurring indigestion and so on. And, um, you know, as with all people and food, there are going to be people that don't tolerate certain things. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, is it possible that if the more of that you eat? Yeah, possibly. But again, there's even confounders for that. Uh, yeah. So it's really, really tricky. So that's that's the the best evidence that I could find. Uh, so and I, and I think really that the takeaway from from this is is. I think it's okay to eat ultra processed food, but not to the 50 to 60% that we're seeing the average person in North America eating. I think, uh, uh, so, but you know, I don't think this message, the message on that is, is no different than almost any food item. Yeah. I don't think you should eat any type of food 50% of the time. I I could even throw in fruits and vegetables in there if you wanted to. But, but I think that the, the interesting thing about this data and, I will go, it's still not certain, No, but it's closer to um, something where, you know, often we've joked on the podcast that if you read a new study in the newspaper, mm-hmm. you know, this study shows, and I'm just picking a food literally at random, mm-hmm. corn prevents blank or causes blank. Mm-hmm. Just wait, because a new one will come out showing the opposite. Right. And, and so you can, you know, e- even finding stuff on diets that people think are healthy and proving their, other than the Mediterranean, it's been very difficult. And so this is one of those rare times where the data seems relatively consistent that consumed in excess and, and somewhere around that 50% yeah, yeah. area. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say 40 to 50, I think, yeah. Yeah, 40 to 50, that, that, they're, that this does increase your risk of bad things like heart attack, strokes, and death. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would I would say that's true. And and um, but again, uh, what we what we're trying to do by doing these things is that it's you know I'm not sure you when you look at it, all ultra processed food is bad. And you know there is no there are no really bad foods. It's just bad diets. And, yeah. you know, that's sort of the, 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 the mantra that I think is of, of value. And, and it all needs to be put into the context because certainly if you're, if you're eating 20% ultra-processed food, which means you, you know, one-fifth of the time it's ultra-processed, there doesn't appear to be any harm whatsoever from it. No, and if you're, if you're someone who enjoys a piece of cake once in a while, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you need to abandon that. It's, no. If it's not baking up sixty percent of your total caloric exactly. intake, yeah, <laughs> yeah. which seems improbable and and maybe something to be maybe not proud of but impressed by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I don't think there's much else we need to talk about from an ultra processed food. Anything? Uh... No, I I think this is a good example though of how the cohort data 
when it when it is lining up relatively consistently it's not it's not enough you know what we would what makes it easier to know that there's causation is a a, a larger effect like something yeah. like a a two risk ratio or yeah. something like that and we're not we're not approaching that thankfully um but it it is good because we've explored a lot already in diet that that fails most of the kind of rules of causation. So this is this is one that at least ticks a few boxes yeah, and makes no, exactly. you your head. Yeah, no, exactly. And and also hopefully you get an appreciation for when when you hear about the evidence, what should you be looking for? And it's the whole is it, you know, is it is it a cohort? What's the outcome they're talking about? How long were the people on it? And uh, you know, it's not it's it's not just it's bad. It, you got to look at the new numbers and and as we've shown in a variety of examples, it's always the extremes that are bad. It, yeah, so it, let me rephrase that. If it's going to be bad, it's almost always the extremes. Right. And and I think it also points to why you've heard people like James and I get so excited about the results of these Mediterranean diet studies. Mm-hmm. Because diet studies are hard to do. They're almost never randomized control trials. And we have a series of them showing very similar results consistently. And so it's, you know, in the world of diet research, there isn't much, uh, as far as looking at true health outcomes, there's lots of diets looking at weight loss that are randomized. Yeah. Um, again, with, with. And same with some, sur- su- some surrogate marker stuff. Yeah. And there's some surrogate marker, but to actually have real outcomes, it's quite rare in a randomized control trial of, of foods. Yeah. And so that, that's, and, and this is why we have to go to the second level evidence and why we're so skeptical yeah. a lot of the time about the results. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you, you, you know, uh, you can pick apart those Mediterranean diet trials too. I mean, it's, yeah, but they're difficult you, to do period, but I, I would yeah. suggest a, you know, a, relatively poorly done randomized controlled trial is still better than a really well done cohort study. I'm going to get flack for that, but I think, and and here's another thing I think, you know, it's not most of the time cohort studies show what randomized trials will show. They should. Yeah. They should. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a hundred percent, but it's, it's, it's certainly uh, relatively close. So anyway, that uh, hopefully uh, you guys found that interesting. Um, 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 Mike, anything about like CFPC Learn or anything? Yeah, so we need to we need to talk about a few things. Uh, one coming up is uh, CFPC Learn. So or not coming up, but it's available mm-hmm. now. Uh, CFPC Learn is an online learning platform where you can listen to the podcast and get credits for it, um, and uh, we'll. Um, We'll have all of them, all of the different podcasts mm-hmm. on there, and you just have to fill out a short survey, and you get uh, half credit each time. There's a you can also um, review tools for practice. There's other podcasts. There's other um, not not many other podcasts, but a few different choices mm-hmm. um, for you to listen to, different styles, and some videos to watch, and all sorts of things. So it is out there and available at any time for yeah, you. And, so, and I'd say it, uh, it's it's there for you to get smarter, but it's 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 a a, a clever simple way to get your educational credits yeah and they're direct entry too so yeah. like when a person who's a family doc anyway when the family doc finishes the the um listening and and does the short like three question survey to 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 finalize the the credits it automatically gets entered for them so they yeah. don't have to do that somewhat 
laborious process. Yeah, no, for sure. And then uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll also we're going to let Mike Colbert let you know a little bit about uh, the pipe conference that's coming up. Thanks, James. Yeah, I'm super excited. Our 11th annual pipe conference, October 21, 22, hybrid event. So in person. Yep, we're going in person, not full room and not hanging off the chandeliers like it used to be prior to COVID. But uh, uh, so in person and and live webcasting. Really excited. We have a great uh, lineup of speakers, fantastic topics, uh, iron efficiency, anemia, methamphetamine uh, in practice. Uh, choose, kind of a choose your own adventure. Mike Allen's doing James. I believe you're doing some evidence on weight and we have Adrian and Danielle talking about uh, evidence on weight as well. Kind of a point counterpoint uh, thing. And it's going to be just fantastic. So encourage the listeners to come to Edmonton in October. It's not snowing yet. I promise. And, uh, and and you can't make that promise. You're right. I can't make that promise. My birthday is right before and it's used to be 50, 50. Um, (laughs) So yeah, come to Edmonton if you wish, or if you're from the, uh, you know, more warmer climes, join us by live webcasting. Love to have you Uh, go to pipeconference.ca. That's P E I P and it's uh, pipe conference or go to the pure website, P E E R. And you can see all the info there. And, Um, And we'll put links to that. And what are the exact dates, Mike? October 21 and 22. So Friday, af- Friday half day, Saturday all day. Perfect. And uh, as, you, as I've already mentioned, much of this information that we've got on food comes from a book that I put out a few months ago. And I would love you to check that out. And we'll put you the, the uh, links to that in the podcast. And uh, I think we'll leave it at that. So thanks as always for listening. Talk to you later. Uh-huh.